What drives you? What inspires you? Let's ignite your why. Welcome to Ignite Your Why podcast. I'm your host, Austin T. Gully, and we're here to have genuine conversations with authentic people to help amplify their voice and figure out what ignites their why. Today's guest is Dr. Dears Hoard, who was raised in Covington, Kentucky, where he graduated from Holmes High School. Then he went on to the University of Louisville to obtain his bachelor's degree in criminal justice. He went to Xavier University, where he received his master's degree also in criminal justice. He recently got his PhD from Walden University in criminal justice as well. He has spent seven years as a police officer and is currently an adjunct professor at Eastern New Mexico University as well as Franklin University, on top of being a dissertation coach and editor. Dears, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. So let's just hop straight into this. Uh, what is your story? Who is Dears Hoard? So jokingly, I would say that Dears is still the same snaggletooth kid from the east side, um, even two decades later. But so as you stated, I was born in Cincinnati and we transitioned to Covington um, about the third grade. I was in the third grade. And from there, I, I want to say it was, I forget the elementary school, that I, first district, first district. I went to first district. Um, and Kentucky's education was one of the, the, the driving factors that, that took us from Cincinnati to Northern Kentucky to come to the Kentucky school systems. Um, from there, I went on to Latonia Elementary School, so I'm a cardinal by trade, um, <laughs> both uh, elementary school as well as uh, collegiate. Um, and then, of course, I went through to the middle school, Two Rivers Middle School, and then ended up going through homes. Um, Growing up, when I transitioned over here, I, I grew up in a single-parent household, so it was just my mother that raised me, along with my uh, sister, who was just two years younger than I am. Um, so, somewhat different, um, but it was a driving factor for me to develop my identity um, and to really find things that would give a sense of, I, I guess, an ability for me to kind of excel and to kind of find out who, who I was, essentially, because, you know, I grew up, like I said, with a single-parent household, so I really didn't have very much of the, the same foundation that many people do. So my story and upbringing itself was different. But luckily, the Covington community and a lot of the resources and relationships that I developed kind of helped facilitate, you know, me understanding who I was and, and what I valued. So I do have a question. First District. Yes. Where was that at? So first district was the old two rivers. The old two rivers. Yes. Interesting. Before now, I believe it's Gateway or something. Okay. Some sort of yeah. I hated two rivers. I'm not gonna lie to you. Two rivers was it was interesting. It was it you was, know it was different than Latonia. Uh, so I went from Latonia back to two rivers, and then, um, but I mean, ultimately, I think that what was amazing to me is I was in the gifted and talented program, and I was pre-AP for a lot of the my um, primary and secondary school before I ended up getting into IB in college. So, you know, when I came, it was it was just eye-opening for me because, I mean, to learn French, you know, I took, I don't know, five, four or five years of French. Um, and then I transitioned to Spanish, of course, because I just felt that was a, a little more, I don't know, central to, you know, me being able to use. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, it was, it was, like I said, it just goes back to the relationships. Um, even though each school that I went to was different and it's, organization and kind of focus and whatnot I mean all of it kind of culminated to me you know learning and excelling and really developing like I said those skills and abilities that I that I now use today I love Covington schools no I do too um but I have to give it to out of all the schools that I went to I would definitely say um you know Holmes was the 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 best but I was talking with uh one of my old mentors Renata Watts. Shout out to Renata Watts. Um, and I was singing Little Tony Elementary School, the song. And she was like, well, I didn't know they even had a song. And I said, you know, I don't know. We had to sing it so frequently. I don't know. I just remembered it. But They have a song? Yeah. Well, they had. I don't know if they uh, still I don't think sang. they still do yeah, now, so, but <laughs> That's yeah. crazy because, like, when I think of, like, when I think of Holmes, like, I think of, like, how much I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who are from outside of homes mm-hmm. and they think so negatively of the school and it's really disheartening it's so sad to like think that people view Covington and homes and like the students in a certain way mm-hmm. when in reality like it's probably one of I wouldn't say the best schools in Kentucky but it's just like any other high school mm-hmm. and you could literally it's what you make it and that's what I tell people no and not only that but I will say also um is that I will say the caliber or the quality of the school is very much similar, but I think that what I loved about Holmes is is the diversity that we had. So being the pretty much the only public high school within the city, there was so many different people groups that Mm -hmm. kind of were brought together and we, we learned from one another. We socialized through athletics. Um, you saw the same people at school that you would see in different community events. I mean, just this past weekend, they had old timers. So a lot of the people that would generally play um, in a lot of the leagues were football or basketball players from different schools that would come together. Um, so I, don't know, I, I enjoyed it. And I mean, I'm still, um, you know, like once a bulldog, always a bulldog. It's definitely something that that I take pride in. Um, and that's why whenever I get the chance to come back to to be involved in whatever may be going on, I, I definitely I I feel it. I'm the same way because it's like you see so many different walks of life Mm -hmm. and you're Mm -hmm. just exposed to so many different cultures and so many different lifestyles that it makes you just like open your eyes and think like, okay, I could have it worse or like I could have it better. But like you just become humble and you become very, I guess you would say like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it just helps you in the long run. No, you become culture. And I think it prepares you for the real world because no one is going to live for the most part, um, be solely, uh, in connection with, or to deal with the same people that, that have the exact same circumstances as they do day in and day out in both their professional and, and private lives. So, and, and that's not what homes provide you. I mean, there's, there's so many, things that you had the ability to, to join and engage in, or at least I did when I grew up, um, when I went through. So, and I, I took advantage of each and every one of those opportunities that I could. Um, and it really helps you to see what the world is like and helps you, you know, be prepared to, to engage. So kind of leads into my next question. Uh, so you went to Louisville for mm-hmm. grad, not grad school, for undergrad. Correct. So what was the deciding factor of like wanting to go away? So during a senior trip, uh, during senior year, we went up to Washington, D.C. Kind of it was like an East Coast um, tour. We went to Boston. 
We went to some place in Jersey. Uh, went to New York City, and of course went to Washington D.C. My first choice was Howard University, um, and everybody says, "Well, you know, why didn't you get to go?" And I'm thinking, "Well, you know, I wish I could have. I mean, don't really, you know, make it worse for me." But hey, um, but the, the big thing was looking on the campus. You know, of course, it's a historically black college and university, so there's this stereotype, I guess you will, that everybody's going to be black. Everybody's going to be from, you know, everything's going to be the same. It's like, oh my goodness. But it was different, you know, to see people from all different types of walks of life. You know, the majority of the people that attend the university are minority, of course. Um, However, you know, it goes back to the saying, just because someone looks like you doesn't mean they think like you doesn't mean everything's the same. So you're talking about different political uh, perspectives, different socioeconomics, different parental type of uh, components that, that are present within the household. Um, so I want to be involved. And I mean, and not only that, but the historical presence that Howard has had um, in the black community and just giving minorities the ability to acquire education when there wasn't as many opportunities in the, in the past. So the historical significance, along with just what I felt when I was on campus, drove me to that being my first choice. Of course, when I graduated, everybody wanted to go to college, which is a good thing, but it kind of was put a damper on on my goals and plans because there was no housing available. So Louisville was my second choice. Um, Louisville still gave me some distance um, and, you know, it it was a good school. So I almost went to Louisville, but (laughs) so like I was like it was like after my freshman year of college, Mm -hmm. I was going to transfer there. I, like, fell in love with the campus. It was very, mm-hmm. compared to, like, Kentucky, like, Kentucky's campus is It's sprawling, right. No, definitely. And it was very overwhelming to where, like, Louisville was, was more, like, smaller, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as small as NKU. Right. But ultimately, I'm proud of my decision to stay at NKU because right. I'm very thankful for that experience. But I even almost went there for grad school. Like, yeah. when I was looking at grad schools, I was like, okay what schools have support administration that's like right. close to like where I'm at. And ultimately I was between Xavier and Louisville. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I didn't go to Louisville is because a, <laughs> I had to take the GRE. Yeah. B, I was like, Oh, like I have to move there, get a job there. Yeah. And it was just like, eh. Whereas well, like, if I stay here, I didn't have to take the GRE because I had a high enough GPA that they waived Right. Any test scores. No, definitely. And I could keep the job I was working and, and just stay at home. No, and definitely. not have to, like, pay for an apartment or no, anything that's, like that. That's, so. that's, and I think that that's something that a lot of people going, you know, in college, like a lot of students don't always take into consideration because they just want to get away. Mm-hmm. But that financial component is really big because, yes, you get a sense of independence, but let's talk about how much this is going to cost, not just the, the education itself, but all the, the extra. Trust that you me, have to pay I for. have friends who went to UK mm-hmm. and they're like $120,000 mm-hmm. in debt. And then I'm like, oh, like mine is like half of yeah. that, if that. Yeah. So it's like staying home, like, yeah, like I always wonder, like, what if I would own away? Mm-hmm. What if I would have had that experience? But now that I'm like getting older, I'm like, okay, I can still travel and like see the world and like experience things on my own and kind of learn that way so everyone's story is different no definitely definitely (laughs) gotta do what's best for you right so i just want to go into the next segment here uh so it's the biggest question Mm -hmm. so what inspires you but more importantly what ignites your why 
Well, in the beginning, I, I think that, you know, what really inspired me was to be the best at everything I did. I mean, I don't know, really know why, because I, I really wasn't competing with anyone, but I just, there was something about success that's always, I always wanted better, I always wanted to do better. Um, and I know a lot of athletes, that they're like, you know, we say that they're, they're the biggest critic because you can have the perfect game, but you always look for your weaknesses mm-hmm. because you always want to become better. Um, so, you know, going back, I, I just, coming, coming to Covington and the, the school system, like I said, it was just so much to be involved in. And, you know, honestly, I kind of give my, my young Dearest a little credit because I was very much similar to, um, I don't know, I guess a business minded in a certain sense. Because when you talk to a lot of business people, they always tell you that the goal of any business person is diversification. You know, we talk about a financial portfolio when we're talking about owning businesses and being involved. So for me, I was in that, you know, at a young age, diversifying myself to really prepare for, I mean, I didn't know what my future held, but I knew that whatever it was, I was going to be the best that I could be in in that position. Um, And, you know, like I said, I grew up with a single parent household. So a lot of times I was surrounded by people that did, that had more than we did. Um, You have one parent that's working to support two children. Um, So I wouldn't say that we went without because, I mean, that was all that I knew. But now to have the ability um, to, you know, to obtain things that weren't necessarily an opportunity before, I think that it's just, just that that's just what pushes me. Not only that, but honestly, now, you know, at professional years is to just make a difference and to be that difference. Um, and that's the reason why, you know, you talk about my tongue twisting mouthful of a, a biography. But I mean, honestly, it's just, you know, I was raised, um, you know, the proverb to whom much is given, much is required. If you have the ability to affect change in someone's life, I don't see why you wouldn't want to. Um, because, you know, you may be that person's blessing and, and it may, they may be just waiting for you for you to engage them to change their life. So every encounter that I have, every opportunity that I have to really build someone or to help them develop a foundation or motivate them or whatever the case may be. I mean, that's an opportunity for, for me to do just that. So that is what ignites me. And that's what fuels me to continue to be that driving force, not only to make myself better, because it's not necessarily for a stat per se, but it's just to seriously help others that may be in a place of darkness without a light to guide them down their path of greatness. I love that. I just love hearing that because it's like, it's so true. Mm -hmm. Because you never know, like, just a smile can Mm -hmm. make someone's Mm -hmm. day. And I always tell people like, to see a change, you have to be the change. No, definitely. And it starts with one person. Mm-hmm. And if you can make that difference, mm-hmm. that's all that really matters. And I think that's kind of why I do this podcast. Because mm-hmm. like what you're talking about is like I want to give people a platform right. to tell their story. Definitely. To basically inspire other people because you never know who could be going through something similar or who mm-hmm. needs to hear what you've been through to kind of give them that that push. No, definitely. It's almost like a pyramid scheme, (laughs) but, you know, with motive, you know, because a lot of times, you know, for instance, if a person loses their wallet, 
Of. You know, you lose your a person. <laughs> you you lose your wallet. Someone finds your wallet. Let's say you have cash in mm-hmm. there, five hundred dollars of cash. Maybe you know rent money. You know bill money. And they find it, and they go out of their way to track you down to get you your wallet back, and nothing's nothing's gone. Everything's there. So you know, we always say, "Oh, there's still good people in the world." Well, it's the good people in the world that motivate you to be a good person. So that now, when you find somebody's wallet, hopefully you do the same thing, and then it's just kind of this, like, "Oh, you know, there's there's somebody out there." You know, I know there's yep. good people. It's the ripple effect. Oh, definitely, and you learn from it. And you know, we're creatures of habit. So when we learn, you know, when we have that. Um, not necessarily about Karis' experience, but this literal, you know, physical experience that we've had, it, be, it has a little more gravity to it. So we, we, we see it as it being something that's true, that we can actually, you know, use to, to further us doing the same type of actions. Hey, I love it. I just love helping people and mm-hmm. just I love hearing other people tell their ways of how they help others. Right. Because I feel like everyone, it seems like everyone wants to help and certain capacities mm-hmm. where they're like you have musicians who want to help with like their music like their mm-hmm. music is their way of helping people heal right. and you have other people who just like to give back to the community and etc cetera, etc cetera. right it's crazy because there's so many ways you can help others but for some reason like when i hear like what you're saying it just motivates me to continue to try to be the best version of myself mm-hmm. but also make a difference in my community which is why like i love covington right and i love having people from covington on here because it just like as a kid like you just like look up to people right and, like you see people being successful and like you're just like dang if they can do it like i can too no definitely definitely <laughs> which makes me think about this another proverb you know when we let our own light shine we unconsciously give other people the permission to do the same Sometimes it's just the mere present, your your mere presence and showing people that they can be their genuine self and that there are opportunities. And sometimes you'll be dealing with people that have same demographics or circumstances as you for like. And as you said, to see that, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, he came from where I came from or he looks like me or he dealt with this and I also dealt with this. So, like I said, if he can do it, I can do it. So sometimes that's all that's all people need. Telling you, it's empowering because, like, thinking back, like, looking at my past and, like, growing up, I see the ripple effect because I see people doing certain things, going to college, playing college athletics. I'm like, okay, they're coming from homes. I can do that, too. Right. I think, like, the prime example for me would be, like, especially in college, I was in writing English 101. Mm -hmm. And I had one of my classmates that I graduated with in the same class as me. And I just heard some, like, we heard someone talking about us mm-hmm. in the back. Like, oh, they went to homes. Like, they're not smart or anything. And for my friend to be empowered to stand up and, like, speak up and say, like, hey, look around. Like, we are in the same room as mm-hmm. you. It was just empowering to me because, like, I was always the type of person to be like, eh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay away from that confrontation. But to see her speak up mm-hmm. for us and it made me open my eyes like hey like i am somewhere mm-hmm. like people do doubt us because right. we're not supposed to be here because of where we come from but i think that what fuels me is like proving everyone wrong oh no definitely because i feel i've had people tell me oh you're not going to be anything because you went to homes you're not smart enough uh, that's a dumb school 
I had a teacher literally tell me not to go to NKU because it was a dumb school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Went and got my degree, got my master's degree, and I'm just like, what now? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I agree. I hear you. Um, you know, and, and and as you said, a lot of times, because I'm not a very confrontational person as well, unless I'm really put in, into the, the, you know, I'm pushed into that type of corner. But, you know, let your success speak for itself, you know, because... A lot of people discount, you know, a lot of accolades and say, oh, well, you know, you got a degree, but you got it from here or this or that. Um, and I tell people, you know, what it's generally about for me is being a good person, right? Yeah, certain credentials may get you in the door, but regardless of what table or what, uh, I don't know, agency or, or group that you're participating in or you know, have whatever relationship with, nobody wants to be involved with a jerk. Right. So I don't care if you're a, a MD or a PhD or, or a lawyer or whatever. You got, At the end of the day, you know, it's about being a good person. And some, like, and sometimes it's just getting your foot. In, that's just getting your foot in the door to, to share your greatness with with those people that may be present there. So we're all the same. No, definitely. Definitely. That's how I feel. You know. Yeah. So I'm kind of one lean into my next question. Why criminal justice? Well, that's kind of loaded, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and I think this is a, you know, a good learning point because I wasn't always a criminal justice major. I was pre-med for up until my junior year. And there was a blog radio show that I had that, and I ended up interviewing a police sergeant who was featured on, well, she wasn't a police sergeant initially, she became a police sergeant, but um, she was featured on Police Woman of Cincinnati. Um, as one of the officers um, there, and seeing how minority officers, I mean, the, they were all women, uh, and then there were just a couple of black officers that were present. Seeing how people who had street cred, for lack of better terms, engaged and made a difference in their community, um, and they were a part of an institution that historically hasn't always been... Um, I guess for lack of better terms, on the right side. And we look at the relationship between law enforcement um, and certain people groups, specifically minorities. Um, It's been tense and it's been very uh, contentious, right? So for me to hear her story on why she decided to get into law enforcement was motivating to me and it was powerful. So it caused me to make criminal justice my minor. And then I began to learn more about um, the discipline and it kind of opened my eyes and I said, you know, the time is now. So I, I'm, I'm going to sign up. And, you know, it was ultimately just about being present, learning as much as I could, and then being the catalyst for the change that I wanted to see, to show people the resources that are present and to really give a face and humanize the badge. Because, you know, we can be on the outside and criticize and talk about things, or we can get on the inside and we can have the same feelings and we can affect the change that we want when we're part of something. Because you got to think, you know, if you're on the outside and you're just, you know, being, you know, loud. I mean, maybe a change will come about. Maybe it won't. Who knows? But if you're in the inside and you can motivate and drive people, develop relationships with people, right? Um, be involved in the development of policies and the actual training of the people that are going to be out making those type of contacts. I mean, that that's what I was about. So, 
you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of what the, you know, criminal justice. And it's just, it's intriguing. Everybody thinks it's just solely for police officers. That's what I tell my students. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of criminal justice practitioners within the system itself. You know, on the, on the most general level, do you want to deal with adults or do you want to deal with juveniles? I mean, they're two different systems. I mean, mm-hmm. the juvenile system is entirely different, even the language that we, that we use. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, I think that's what it boils down to is just being involved. And once again, you know, bringing out the best that I can um, in those that I encounter. I feel like we have a common theme here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's what, kind of like that's what life's about. Be the change. Yeah. Like, don't talk about the change. Be the change. Mm-hmm. And like we've said it multiple times. Yeah. It just starts with one person. Yeah. And I think especially when you think of 2020 mm-hmm. and that crazy year with everything with the protests and all of that, I can only imagine like the thoughts Mm -hmm. that might run through someone's head, especially being in the field. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is like, how did you deal with that conversation with people when they talk like, oh, like police officers, this police officers, that, but then you're like, no, like we're not all the same. You know, um, I think that the biggest thing is that and I want to speak too collectively, but it's been my experiences or my experience rather that people sometimes speak from a place of ignorance Mm -hmm. or from a place of what they may see on the media or what they may hear from another person. Um, But I think that I use that as an opportunity because I may be like, once again, the gatekeeper to that change and kind of shining a light where there may be darkness for something that they're not aware aware of. Um, and kind of giving them a different perspective, because a lot of times, um, and this is one thing I kind of when I when I have my trainees that I kind of talk with them is that a lot of things that we do are illogical, you know that we have to retrain our brain to think. When you hear certain things, whether it be a scream or a yell or gunshots, one of the most, you know, your physiological response, your brain is going to say run away, not towards. So we have to train to think a different way in a certain regard. But with people that I see in the streets, or not in the streets per se, but just, you know, that we may have those conversations about what law enforcement may or may not be. And a lot of times I have them in the classroom. It's just about having candid conversation and allowing people to express themselves, because sometimes it may be from experience. um, And it could very well be just an all bad around, a bad situation all around. And there's nothing, I mean, I'm not going to be able to make the situation good or say, oh, well, you know, you're misunderstanding something or whatever. I mean, give them a place to to really um, express themselves and just be a listening ear. Give them a, give, allow them to have that voice, right, for that moment. And I've even learned even engaging people during times of crisis is that sometimes that's the greatest thing that you can give someone because they feel like doors are always shut when they're attempting to to have that sense of of agency over you know with their problem and whatnot so yeah i mean it's it's definitely been difficult like you said but i mean you just take each situation as it comes and and do the best that you can to to find some sort of peaceable or just or valuable disposition i feel it cuz when i think of it i think of like a student mm-hmm. right everyone thinks this class is a terrible class, but it might just be that one person in that class that gives that persona. Of like, right. Oh, that class is terrible because of X, Y, and Z. But really, if you just remove the bad apple, everything's fine. So that's kind of like the analogy I think of. Mm-hmm. Is like, it's not 
it's so easy to just put the blame on everyone as a whole mm-hmm. when if you take a step back there's a deeper root to the problem mm-hmm. in general. No, yeah. Yeah. No, and, and that goes back to, once again, being involved in being the change is that um, as a training officer, I have the ability to facilitate those fundamental, the, the very rudimentary skills that are necessary for all law enforcement officers. So as soon as an officer graduates the academy, they're put with the training officer in the field. Um and they give essentially as training officers, we help them navigate and and use those resources they learn in the police academy, in the in the actual in the field. Um, so going back to being a change, I get to shape the minds and develop. And honestly, when you start looking at whether the questions you may be or you see how you know trainees may interact with certain people. You kind of see some of, you know, there may be red flags that come about or there may be um, areas of, of concern that you may want to iron out or address accordingly, maybe with a supervisor or with some sort of remedial training or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I'm never and I don't think law enforcement is one of the, the disciplines or the professions to where you want to have, well, you know, that coworker that, you know, shouldn't be there mm-hmm. and you just. Be like, oh, yeah, you know, Austin's going to mess up. Like, he's, yeah, just one day something's going. You know, th- that isn't what we want to have. We wanna, we don't want to have that in law enforcement because, I mean, outside of liability, just look at the consequences, right? And the magnitude, and as you say, the rotten apple effect, you know, that one officer may have the ability to tarnish and bring about, you know, discredit, um, you know, decrease our procedural justice that, that people hold with regard to, you know, our agency and whatnot. So, I take pride in my position. Um, sometimes I'm known as the, you know, the tough PTO that you know, nobody wants to, to, to be coupled with. But, um, you know, just recently, I actually was talking to some of my trainees that I actually work with now, and they were talking about, you know, how I was instrumental in their success and really helping them to see because I am difficult. But, I mean, let's just be honest: the job itself is difficult. And life is difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm just helping you to really acquire and maintain a sense of agency uh, over your success in your craft. It's that tough love. Yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah. To be the best, you have to be pushed to be yes, the best. Yes, yes. And it kind of makes me think of a time when I was younger. I had a basketball coach mm-hmm. who would yell at me after everything I did, whether mm-hmm. it was like something good, something bad. And I never understood. I was like, <laughs> I was... Why am I being yelled at? Mm-hmm. I literally just made a made a basket. Why yeah. am I being yelled at? Eventually, like my dad like asked him, mm-hmm. like, why are you yelling at my son and not anyone else? Just out of curiosity. And he was like, he has potential. Like, I can see the potential in him. And if I yell at him, he does better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the competitiveness in me. Because mm-hmm. I feel like you talked about this earlier. Yeah. It's like you weren't competing with anyone else. You're competing with yourself. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of, I just wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best at everything I did. Right. I didn't want anyone to have an, a leg up on me, oh, I yeah. guess you should say. Because mm-hmm. if, like you said, I could have a game that had like 30 points and 10 assists, but then I'm like, okay, I had four turnovers. Like, yeah. why yeah. do I have four turnovers? No, and nobody else has to say that, but it's, it's you that'll pick that out. And that's what I think it's about, is sometimes calling yourself out, even when nobody else does. Right. It can be a good thing and a bad thing. No, it can. can it that. takes a toll on you. But, you know, 
one of the consequences is that you're gonna be better next time. You know, <laughs> true, you, you may, it may be a little stressful, but you'll you'll do better next time. I feel it. Earlier we were talking about 2020 and how crazy the year was. So my question for you is, with everything that was going on, how did you take care of yourself mentally? Um, I try to travel <laughs> uh, <laughs> as much as I could. I, I, I went, you know, kind of transitioned from international to kind of domestic travel, just, you know, driving to parks or something, just especially being out in the Southwest. Um seeing different parts, you know, of New Mexico and Colorado, Arizona, um, Nevada. Um, so that was one of the biggest things. And another was just my friends and just being, you know, help them helping me and, you know, vice versa to, to be grounded because it was something that was completely different. That was, we were definitely in uncharted waters uh, with a lot of the mandates and the restrictions that were, that were implemented. So, um, yeah, I was. It was a, definitely a year of just kicking back and relaxing, um, which was different for me. Um, there were weeks that went by that, you know, when I was teaching that I didn't leave the house, which was strange. So I would end up going to my office and that would be my little vacation spot just so I can get away. Or, you know, and also, you know, exercising and just being out and involved and soaking up the sunlight was something um, kind of gave you the, the ability to decompress and just take in my surroundings that were that were new to me at that, it was at that definitely time. weird being stuck at home mm -hmm. but for you you were in a complete different state mm -hmm. like you just started your program right recently right yeah at the time so you're a phd student in a completely different side of the country so how did that take did if it did did it take a toll on you at all just being no, away. No, I, I think that um you know it was just different, you know, and I and me going away to Louisville and anticipating going away to DC for college. I mean that was all I knew that I wanted to to be a to go away to travel, um, to be have some sense of distance from, you know, the hometown, if you will. But this was just a different type of, you know, there was definitely more distance. But luckily, you know, we have the ability to kind of appease, if you will, that the the distance, whether it be, you know, phone calls or, or traveling and coming back and forth. But um, I've always been, you know, I guess, I guess I've been used to being in places. Sometimes I leave when I travel alone. I mean, I'll just go to the Dominican by myself and just vacation for a couple of days. So being alone isn't the, the challenge. I guess it was just more or less navigating something completely new um, during um, the times of, of complete, you know, chaos, I guess would be the, the, the term. Um, you know, I was in New Mexico and New Mexico was a state that was in the red for quite a while. My county was also red with just the... Um, the amounts of infections that were present. Um, and it was very rural. Um, so it, it, that was different, you know, but you know, you make do with what you have, you know, improvise, adapt and overcome, you know, that's what I, I just think, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> it's just different. But for it, me, you know. like being alone is hard for mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get better at it, trying to travel right. a little bit more by myself. But now with things sort of opening back up, because I feel like we're going to 
Yeah, I don't even know what's going to happen here. Yeah. It's like you can plan, but then you're like, if things change, then it's just wild right now. I feel like definitely part of history. No, yeah, <laughs> but, it's, yeah, just wow. Yeah. You know, luckily, you know, I didn't get to partake in, you know, becoming one of the infected and, and getting the, the antibody, the novel antibodies like some folks, but I can look back, you know. We were all walking around looking like we were surgical techs with our masks on. Hey, and I just be thankful that you didn't. Get yeah, it I, I uh, yeah. it is. It's a monster. See, that's one of the the positives of me being out of the desert for so long is there was <laughs> no contact with anybody. So I guess that's some of the upsides of, of being out there. That's true because yeah. it was awful. Oh, I can only imagine. I had the flu, and I hear it's you know several times. Yeah, exponentially. Little, it's a little bit worse than that. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't want to... I feel like it's different for everyone, though. I was fortunate enough not to lose my taste or smell, mm-hmm. and I'm blessed for that. Because if I couldn't taste my Thanksgiving dinner, I would have been so Yeah, upset. and I just think that was that just that had to be one of the mutations that came about, because that was one of the later symptoms that a lot of people were like, that's all I have. I don't really have anything else. There's no respiratory distress. It's just I can't taste my food. It's like, oh, no, you'll be fine. And how, then they taste positive. How could positive. you eat? Without tasting, I don't think I could do it. Well, I think when that when the tummy starts grumbling uh, and you get true. a little lightheaded, I, you just. I feel like if it ever happens to me, knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like if it happened to me, I would try things that I didn't like, even though. Oh yeah. I wouldn't be able to yeah. taste it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I'd fear the day. All like, the super healthy back. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and then you get the benefits of them. And then the taste comes back, and you're like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that's, right. <laughs> that's so funny. So my question for you now, so you took that year off. Mm-hmm. So you left the police force, mm-hmm. took it off, and now you're back at it. Mm-hmm. What was the, I know you wanted to be the change. Is that the mm-hmm. reason why you came back? Yeah, um, you know, that was. And I, I had the ability to, to change um, the structure of my contract, if you will, on how I would... Um, my role at the university, essentially, at Eastern New Mexico. So um, we, we discussed that, and I just saw the, the officers were leaving in droves. Um, you see the the increased violence and the, and the increase, like the crimes, specifically homicides. I mean, they were just, I mean, there were some cities that increased by like 500-something percent. And and not Louisville, per se, but just there were, uh, there were some cities. Louisville, there was definitely an increase. Um I think we're already on pace to do like 200 homicides this year, uh, which is just crazy. Um, and I wanted to be involved and in once, it, like you said, affecting that change. But just, the, you know, I told my students all the time that the time is now to where we need people, the right people in positions to truly help us move forward as a profession. And sadly, um, there, there's a lot that you have to deal with when you wear the uniform and wear the badge. Um, and we j- there really hasn't been very much. There's been decreased interest over the course of like the last, you know, five to 10 years. So we've, we've kind of seen that go down. Um, but, yeah, I just want to go out just to make sure to, to be in the community, to affect the change on the on the, on the street level. Um, but to also just engage the, pe- the the new officers that are coming and to really be a face to, you know, the, the ethical driven um, 
and effective police officers should be should be like and you know it's just something that I just love it was a passion of mine that I developed I mean I never grew up dreaming to become a police officer that wasn't necessarily a you know something I always wanted to do but it was a love that I developed um you know passion that I developed once I once I got you know sworn in and, and hit the street so it's no day is ever the same I doubt um, it. <laughs> so um, you never know what you're going to be confronted with. And I think that's one of the things that you just always have to be on your toes. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. So I, I, so essentially I was presented with the opportunity and I seized it, you know, because it, it, it was something I loved. Um, I feel that. I thought about being a police officer when I was younger, um, but like life yeah. happens, like, yeah, it does. change, it does. dreams change yeah. and everything. But I just want to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for taking the time to hop on here and tell your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also thank you for everything that you do, uh, the service and just really giving back and being the best version of yourself uh, because it definitely has inspired me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I have looked up to you as like a younger bulldog and kind mm-hmm. of seen your successes and it's kind of like, okay, He's from Covington. Like I said before, like right. I can do it too. So appreciate you. Oh, thank um, you. Thank so you. Thank you for just, again, hopping on here and telling your story. And I'm sure many people enjoy it. Well, thank you for the opportunity and for, you know, giving people a platform to sometimes hear some of the more specifics and just to really, I guess, be a little more personable with, you know, some people that they may look up to mm-hmm. that they may not necessarily know how to approach or know you know because you just never know these days i mean a lot of people look at someone and they're just intimidated by something it's like oh i won't say anything no i mean i get it yeah there's people where you're just like oh but it's like they're mm-hmm. human they're no human. definitely definitely and sometimes people are waiting for people to engage them because everybody just i don't know everybody's so contentious these days and just you know frank frank you know frightened to a certain extent on sometimes how people you have to respond. take it's like you got to take risk you do, you do. If you want to, yeah, if no, you, I agree. If you want to succeed, if, like, yeah. you got to oh, yeah. take the chance. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like failure sucks, mm-hmm. but behind every failure is a lesson. Mm-hmm. So you're still going to gain something from it. So oh, yeah, definitely. That's how I see life is like, if you're not going to take risk, then what are you doing? Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> and, and you learn. You Like you said, it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a lesson and you can use it moving forward. So hopefully next time. Lessons can be blessings. You may get the silver this time, but hopefully next time you get the gold. (laughs) I feel it. It's my Olympics. (laughs) If people want to continue having a conversation with you about anything we talked about today, whether it's criminal justice, the police academy, or just growing up in Covington, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, my LinkedIn is definitely something that I use. Um, And then email, first and last name, at gmail.com. Um, is I'm, I'm very responsive. I'm a millennial, so I always have my little device attached. <laughs> or devices attached. I feel it. Yeah, always. <laughs> I'm gonna put all of Dears's information in the description below. If you guys reach out to him, please make sure you put a note of where you found him. Thank you guys for listening in, and always remember, find your purpose and ignite your why. <laughs>